Hello, and welcome to ASMR Tirar the Whale. Are you hoping to calm your mind, relax your body, or experience ASMR? Dr. Andrew Michaels is here to help you. We are so grateful you have chosen to spend some time with us today. Please remember to subscribe if you haven't already, and consider reviewing this podcast on iTunes and sharing it with your friends and family. It really does help. Good afternoon and welcome. Welcome to my humble little podcast. I think sometimes people think all these mysteries paranormal adventures are fake, but I can actually tell you about a real one. Conspiracy so vast and so magnanimous that if you could prove it is actually a conspiracy, there he is right now. Come here. We have a friend. Somebody was worried about me and came down to visit. Did you hear the door open? Those of you who might be a fan for a long time might know I have a little dog named Buster. And Buster worries about everything. He's afraid of being alone. I think a lot of us are. But this little dog takes it to a level of an art form. I think he's scared. Let me see if I can get him to open up the door here. Do you mind? This is kind of odd, but let's do this. This might be a fun little thing we can do. Let me just get up for a minute. I'll keep talking. Come here. Do you want to come see Dad? Come on. Are you scared? Come on. Everybody wonder where Buster is. Where's Buster? Open up the door. Are you hiding now? Come here. All right, you go hide. Daddy didn't run away. Daddy's right here. Do you want to come see me? Well, come here. Well, come here. Come on. (sighs) He is scared of this whole world. Come here. Come here. Don't you dare go potty. No potty in the house. Come here. Come on. Come on. Come here. Oh, don't. No, he's scared. I have headphones on. It's scaring him. Come here. You don't want to come see Dad? He does not. He's scared because he doesn't like being filmed on camera. Normally, he runs and jumps right up on my lap. That's why he followed me downstairs to my studio. He's like a child. He's more like a little boy than a dog, and I know that's a bad habit, because he's not a little boy, and he doesn't respond to stimulus the same as a little boy, and you can't teach a dog the same way you teach a little boy. You can't sit down and reason with him. Yes, you can talk to a little dog, and they're actually very intelligent. I think they have the ability to 
um, remember or know uh, 400 words, 200 words, maybe it's 400. And they basically have the understanding of the world like a little four-year-old. Come on. He's scared because I know what he knows. He knows. You're going to try and film me on camera, aren't you? But he's sitting there looking at me. And he's just so scared. And he's hiding in the other room. He is the perfect epitome of the innocence of all humans and animals. When they see the world as a good place and they're worried about every little thing is a bad thing. Every little thing is a scary thing. And maybe that helps lead us into our story today. There are people out there who think, for one reason or another, that there is a global conspiracy of worldwide proportions. It goes all the way around the globe. Everybody's in on it. Everyone. And they believe the world, or better yet, well... We'll start with the world. The world is flat. Why we are even discussing this in the 21st century is beyond me. Now, in my older days, I would tell you a story where it's actually true. Oh my goodness, it's true. But I realized early on that the Flat Earth Movement wasn't just some group of miscreants trying to make money off the Flat Earth. It was a symptom of a bigger problem. Where, in this day and age of oversaturation of information with the internet and all of the world's knowledge, the world's knowledge at our fingertips, you have to believe something to know it's not true. Because anybody can state a fact or a belief that they think they know real well, and then somebody else can sit down and type on a computer a few characters and grab the information and the actual facts right off the internet. We've all done it. You might say, oh, that man's married to this model. And you got mixed up and it wasn't the model you said. It was a different model. I made that mistake years ago. Or you could say something like, well, I think the sun is 91 million miles away from the earth. Well, it's 93 something million miles away. So you you were off a little bit, but it was a small mistake. But the idea is the sun is millions, in fact, over 90 million miles away from the earth. So it's quite far away. Now, it looks kind of small in our sky. It's a little round ball. It is a ball. It is a sphere. But it's rather small because it's so far away, but it's still kind of big if you think about it. It's kind of neat. You could look at the sun as a small object in the sky. Or you could say, wow, that's really big. We're 93 million miles away, and it's still that size. That's kind of frightening. It, it, to me, it is. It's actually frightening. Because it's like, well, the ISS satellite, you know, whether it's real or it's some NASA fraud, is actually big enough that we can see it, and it's a little tiny dot up there in the sky. How big is the sun being that far away, and it's still that big in the sky? That that kind of freaks me out a little bit, because when you really start to think about these numbers, the sizes of things, 
and the grandeur of the just our solar system, not even talking about the universe around us, just talking about the grandeur of my own little tiny corner of the existence, it's quite frightening. Because you do live in an insignificant little tiny speck of dirt and rock in the sky, surrounded by vastness of literally nothing. This is the only safe little oasis, the only little tiny desert spot that's safe with water and food and uh, shelter to keep me cool when I need to be in hot, when I need heat. I would die anywhere else without extreme measures taking place. You know, a spacesuit, spacecraft, supplied air. The air has to be scrubbed so you don't have CO2 buildup in your spacecraft. It's quite alarming how quickly the human being is in a precarious situation when one little tiny system goes wrong. I always wondered, you know, people say they faked the moon landings. Okay, so you faked the moon landings. But they built the scrubbers for the CO2 on Apollo and and the uh, lunar lander. You could say, well, yeah, of course they did. They had to have all the systems you know, in place or you'd know that one little thing was fake. Well, my thing is, they actually work. The scrubbers actually work because when Apollo 13 couldn't go to the moon and they abandoned the their uh, command module and went into the lunar lander for several days until they could get back to Earth, there wasn't enough scrubbing surface area and material in the lunar lander to last that long. And the cartridges weren't the same size from the command module for the lunar lander system to scrub the air. One was square and one was round. So the astronauts were in a position where they were going to die because they made a mistake. They had an engineering oversight. This is how you learn things from the drawing board, you know, designing things into the practical world. The scrubbers were basically the same technology. They would take in the air that the astronauts breathed out and they would scrub the CO2 and get the oxygen out of it, I think, and return it right back to the the spaceship. Well, the CO2 would be captured in filters and that would keep the level of CO2, carbon dioxide, from building up and making the astronauts sick. I'm sure they scrubbed other different um, elements out of the, the air. I'm not sure. I'd have to look into it. But there was one fundamental thing they did wrong. This is the, the part that kind of blows conspiracy theories apart when you start to apply common sense and logic to them. They never designed the lunar lander to last with three men in it that long, as long as it would take to get slingshotted around the moon and come back. So the scrubbers were overloading and the, they weren't working anymore. So they said, that's okay, we have these cartridges in the the command module, we'll just put one in the lunar lander system, and the men can continue breathing proper levels of oxygenated air, free of CO2. Well, there was a problem. They designed 
and I could have it backwards, but I believe the command module had square filters, and the lunar lander had round filters. Now, normally this wouldn't be a problem. As I said before, one system was built for one application, and one system was built for another. But because of the emergency, now the lunar lander was being used as a lifeboat, as a life preserver, uh, as a life-sustaining system. And it really wasn't designed for three men for that long of a time period. So it was exceeding its engineering design limits. Now, this is important. You have to remember these things. It, it was it was built if it was a if it was a hoax that they went to the moon or that the earth is round or that the earth is flat why would they do something like this why wouldn't they just lie about the size and the shape of the filters oh that's right because the astronauts were on like LSD and they were in a studio and they they thought they were going to the moon right they must have thought they were going to the moon so they had to keep carrying on this farcical you know, a conspiracy to its end result where the astronauts thought they went around the moon. So they were looking out the window of their um, spaceship and they thought they saw, um, you know, the moon coming closer and then the moon going further away and the earth moving away and then the earth coming closer. Or or were the astronauts not in on it? Or, you know, they, they were not in on it and... Therefore, they had to fake the filters. You know, they had to figure out a way to get that square peg into a round hole, which is what they did. In reality, they said, this is all of the material. They got a big bag, and they put every single thing the astronauts had available in their spaceship, in this bag, with the filter system and the filter hookup system, you know. And they had a group of engineers sit down and say, figure out how to make a square peg go in a round hole. And believe it or not, the astronauts came up with a way using duct tape, plastic bags, um, I think a vacuum hose or a hose off the astronaut's suit to basically make a square peg fit on a round hole. And it was quite simple and ingenious and probably not that big of an engineering marvel once they applied their minds to it. But they not only came up with a solution, they applied the solution, it worked, the CO2 levels came back down, and the astronauts continued on the journey. Now, this was actually shown in the movie Apollo 13. It never really got out of hand. They figured out early on in the the trip that they made a mistake, that there was an engineering error and that the filters wouldn't work, that the astronauts were going to get into a critical situation. In the movie, they kind of dramatize it that, <coughs> you know, they start coughing. The CO2 is getting too hot. Well, CO2 wouldn't make you cough. And, you know, they kind of, you know, overdramatize the situation a little bit in documentaries and stuff to try and make it exciting, you know. We, you know, after the explosion, there really isn't much to talk about except engineers and astronauts talking back and forth about, hey, I don't feel like dying today. Let's keep me alive. It's not real exciting talking about math and science and um, the, you know, the trajectories and 
retro-firing, so they had only a few things in the script that they could get people excited about, and one of them was the CO2 scrubbers. So it was presented in the movie, and it was a very ingenious little thing they came up with to solve the problem. I think anybody would have probably figured out how to do what they did, given the situation and the equipment available. You know, you could put a group of 13-year-old science students in a room, probably could have came up with the same solution. The problem is, they didn't have all day to work on this. They had to get this thing done, get the instructions sent up to the... Uh, write the instructions, first of all, then send them to the astronauts, get them to write them all down, because this is, you know, ever told. Not just that you shoot a rocket up into the sky and after somehow we follow it all the way into the atmosphere, you know, out into outer space, 
the British follow it. The Russians, they're all in on it because they all follow the, the trajectory of this rocket. Because it crosses over their airspaces, it crosses over their country, over their land. Everybody wants to know, you know, if there's this, you know, 100,000 pound rocket flying over their country. You know, like, um, you know, they throw a fit when you send a U-2 spy, spy plane over Russia. Or you fly an SR-71 around their border. Right? But they don't care if you shoot a 100,000 pound Apollo rocket up over top of their airspace. You know, something that could come down full of uh, rocket fuel and explode and um, kill, like, you know, hundreds of people and start a forest fire. They they wouldn't care about that. But, you know, they only throw fits over little tiny things like U-2 planes and SR-71 um, and, and spy satellites that probably only weigh a thousand pounds. But, you know, but... I'm I'm all over the place today. But the point is, it gets ludicrous after a point. I don't like talking about the actual science of the globe Earth. And I don't like talking about the science of the universe and how it's all of, all of creation follows predictable mathematical formulas and you can figure out the trajectories of all the stellar objects we're aware of. The reason I don't like to pursue that is I want somebody to explain to me how some guy wrote a plot for an Apollo moon mission and that they were going to do five or six years down the road. And he was smart enough to get them to design the fake lunar lander and the fake command module with different size filters in it so that he would have a weird and quirky plot point in a rescue scenario it it it's beyond imagination you know it, it gets to the point where you have to prop these conspiracies up with more and more BS more and more garbage to the point where you're creating whole industries, whole uh, religions to defend it. You know, one of my favorites is, and, and I'll touch on this before I go, because it's one of my favorites. Then, you know, it's some kind of satanic conspiracy to destroy creation science. You know, that the that the young Earth is only the Earth is only six thousand years old and. You know, dinosaurs might have lived with men and been on Noah's Ark, and Noah's Ark is real, and um, all this other BS that they try to, you know, these myths and legends that they take, you know, from the Bible and other holy books, and they try to say, well, you know, science is trying to cover all that up, science is trying to disprove this, it's some kind of huge Luciferian um, Illuminati, uh, you know, the secret government conspiracy to blind us to what's really going on. And I always point out, the astronauts were, <laughs> the majority of them, I don't even remember one. I'd have to look up and try to find an astronaut, a NASA astronaut, who was not a Christian. Until the, you know, the modern 21st century when they started sending 
I think they sent a, a, an Israeli astronaut up. I assume he was Jewish. Uh, he died on the one Challenger reentry. I assume he was Jewish. I, I think they've had some Islamic uh, Muslim astronauts. I don't even think I've ever read, and I've read a lot, about astronauts and the NASA program. I don't think I've ever read about any of the astronauts turning to atheism after, you know, or agnosticism after their experiences in space. They were all predominantly Christian. Many of them became more devout Christians after their space missions. Uh, my One of my favorite stories is on Apollo 11 when they landed. Buzz Aldrin took communion. I have stated he was a Catholic. He wasn't. He was, I think, a Presbyterian, and I probably got it wrong again. But he took, he had a small communion set and did a communion religious Christian ceremony on the moon. The first two men on the moon landed, and one of them did a Christian ritual. And you're saying it's that's part of a Luciferian world government trying to destroy religion conspiracy? You see, it gets to the point where, what the hell are you talking about? It really does. Now, I know they try to pick apart every little tiny thing about Buzz Aldrin, but it just doesn't hold water. Either he did it or he didn't. Either they were Christians or they weren't. Either the people who built the Apollo rocket in Alabama, in Huntsville, Alabama, were God-fearing, Bible-thumping Christians. And you know they were. You gotta tell me the truth. You know the truth. And the truth is what the facts are. And the conspiracy that is the most dangerous, most real, most frightening thing I've ever come across is this conspiracy of people trying to convince people that science is evil, that the earth is not a round globe, and that the earth is flat, and try and push us back into the Stone Age when we still dragged women around by their hair and cooked pterodactyl over top of the campfire. I mean, do they even have any rationalization that there are no terror birds on the planet, there are no megafauna creatures on the planet anymore? Probably because of the rise of man. We killed all them, them off. Human beings are like spread across the world and wiped all that out. I don't think science has come to a complete conclusion on that, but I really think that is the conclusion. We've got to give up on this stuff. We've got to start putting these conspiracies away. We've got to start living in reality and living in the real world. We're harming each other with this nonsense. We're harming each other by painting science and progress as evil when at the same time we're using the internet, a desktop computer or a laptop or a notepad, 
to communicate with the world to tell the world that science is evil and not to get them. Your conspiracy doesn't hold water. And remember, water does seek its own level. And in the end, the facts of science will eventually puddle up and drain your conspiracies of all their energy. That's the best I could do today. Thank you for joining me today, and I'm so glad I got to talk to you, all of you. I hope you'll rate, share, and leave a comment on this podcast. It really does help us grow. A very scary and frightening paranormal adventure comes next. I hope this one didn't frighten you too much, but I do want you to think about it. Conspiracy theories are frightening, and they do real damage, and they could cause a lot of harm. Think about that. Until I see all of you again, please have a most blessed day. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for ASMR Tierra de Fuego. Remember to stay tuned for the next episode, coming soon. When you have a moment, please take the time to rate and review this podcast. If you are interested in additional ASMR content, you may view our library of videos at youtube.com slash The theme song, Atlantis, is by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com and is used by permission. Correspondence, including questions or requests, may be sent to tirardehuello at gmail.com. On behalf of Dr. Andrew Michaels, thank you.